Hello, Food World. It's Robert Crutchfield, your favorite foodie friend from Crutchfield Cooks, here with another fascinating episode of Crutchfield Cooks, the podcast. This time around, we're talking about something you may not have heard much about, a biome and food allergies and how those things relate to what we're eating. And we're here with Sarah Schenk to fill us in on it all. So here's Sarah. Yeah. Okay, Sarah, let's all get started. I know you're here to talk to us about your documentary on the the growth of food allergies. Well, Uh, it's about the, that's, it is absolutely about food allergies, but it, it is also about like the larger role that the little tiny creatures that we call microbes play in our, our lives and, and actually right. how important they are to being healthy and, and living, living in an easier, happier life than when things go awry. Sure, the whole biome thing, but that's what you're here for is to clarify all of it for us. Can you start out by giving us a little background? I mean, do you have a background in film? I know you have some experience with sensitivities and, and different things of that nature. Sure. Well, I, you know, I kind of became a filmmaker by accident. I was working for the New York City government and a friend of mine asked if he, if I could build a set for him. He was doing a short film. He was a grad, in grad school for filmmaking. And, you know, he asked me if I could help over a weekend and in the evenings. I thought, sure, why not? That sounds fun. And we built a he had some building. It was just a regular kind of residential building, but he had space in it. And we constructed a prison, like that's kind of a crazy thing to do. And that was fun. I, you know, I'm a kind of crafty person. But then I also stayed on to watch watch him work with actors and the camera. And watching that, the whole creation of a of a universe really was magical to me. And I was I felt. You know, the way some people talk about falling in love, I kind of felt Mm. like I fell in love with this idea of making a a world up of, you know, working with actors and working with a set designer and working with costume and makeup people and a camera person. It just really seemed incredibly complicated and challenging, but also really exciting and thrilling to work with all these different kinds of artists and collaborators. And uh, and that's actually what got me started. I ended up making a bunch of short films and then becoming a filmmaker full-time and working on on still indie projects, but bigger projects. And uh, this is my first documentary feature. A feature, I didn't even know what that meant. Like a feature film is, you know, usually an hour to an hour, hour and a half long. And I'd worked on documentaries before as a crew member, but I hadn't really had the the calling to make a full-length documentary film until I discovered the microbiome. And when I say I discovered it, it was a bunch of really interesting researchers who started publishing. And there were articles in the New York Times that I read, and this is taking us back more than 10 years. It's probably 11 years ago now. And I became smitten with the field. So you got you got smitten not only with the the film field but the the biome, I guess. You know, it's funny you put it that. May I? May it's okay for me to call you Robert? Sure, sure, absolutely. 
Robert, I, as you might have discerned, even from our brief, brief conversation, I, I am a person of great enthusiasms. And for better or for worse, when something captures my imagination, it, I, I, don't, I don't like to think of myself as an obsessive, but I suppose in some ways I do become obsessive about searching, looking into things. Yeah. So I did. Yeah, I be, yeah you, I'm kind of like that myself. I, I tell people I'm a modern day Renaissance man. Mm, focus okay. is sometimes so focus is sometimes difficult. That's true, and it is especially true in something like independent filmmaking, which is really it's a long haul. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it, I spent ten years making this film. I had a number of other full time jobs during that time. Oh, in in some ways, it took me longer to make the film, which I had the great fortune to bring on board a collaborator. After a couple of years of working on the project, uh, I wasn't really getting very far in terms of funding because, you know, I've never financed a documentary yeah. before. And I also had to go back to work full time. And I had two small mm. children at that point. So I was really eagerly looking around for a collaborator. And I was fortunate to find a very seasoned documentary film producer, Steve Lawrence, who is we are co-directors and co-producers on the film. And, um, you know, that's really, that was a really important thing, particularly since, you know, there were so many other demands on my time and attention. Oh, sure. I, I have a acquaintance in the, or two in the film business. One of them just funded a new film. He had to go the GoFundMe route oh, and, and, and raise the money in, in, in five and $10 increments even, but, uh, he got there. That's uh, but, uh, congratulations to him. Well, if it, if his main gig wasn't teaching at Full Sail University, I don't know if he could pay the rent. But well, film, film, filmmaking can be funny that way. It's true. I mean, I have I have another job right now, and it is. It's very common to. There's not a lot of people, even people who are very successful in film. Not not a lot of us can afford to be doing it full time, but that's okay, you know. Well, full time in the film business doesn't mean what film full time at other jobs. Well, you're right about that. I can remember talking to Peter Onorate, who's been in Sons of Anarchy. He's been in This Is Us, several different shows people might have heard of. Mm -hmm. He in the beginning was in the new version of the TV show SWAT. And I remember when SWAT was getting ready to premiere, people would ask him about it. And Peter would say, I'm just glad to be working again. I, would, I hear I, you. It's like, I don't care what part they give me. I'll be, I'll be the spear bearer. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just glad to work again. Yeah. Well, but I don't, so, I mean, I came to film kind of by accident mm -hmm. to be, to be frank, although I, when I was an undergraduate at college, I'd gone on a, a study program that one of the things that we studied was film. So I ended up having a bunch of friends who were filmmakers, and I guess I kind of caught the bug from them. And then what brought me to the microbiome and, and our, our, you know, sometimes I'm a little nervous about using that word because for a lot of people, it, it sounds kind of complicated, but all it really refers to is and I hope this doesn't gross people out, all over our bodies, all over our skin, inside our bodies, most especially in our guts, that is in, in our intestines, 
there are microbes. And microbes are what that means is that the little tiny organisms, single celled organisms, a lot of them are bacteria, but there's also fun, fungi and viruses. And when I say that, those are healthy. Most of the microbes mm -hmm. in and on our bodies keep us healthy. Yeah. And in fact, that's what that's how we digest our food. If if you had no microbes in your intestines, you would die immediately. You would have no immune system and you wouldn't be able to get the energy and vitamins out of your food because when we eat food, it's the all these little organisms in our in our guts that actually make the the energy and the vitamins available to us. So they're really important and keeping them kind of in balance is 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 how we stay healthy and when things go when things disrupt our microbes things can get sick and we can get really sick we can go downhill fast oh sure i had a friend years ago he got seriously ill just that way and it's uh, kind of interesting because it's like you talk about with the microbes in the stomach Mm. He had an infection that pushed the microbes in his stomach out of his stomach. Oh, dear. And so he had a situation where the microbes that were a good thing when they were in his stomach were a bad thing when they got disrupted and pushed into other parts of the body. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's you're you're right on about that there. One of the things that I was really kind of astonished and fascinated to learn was that microbes are very site specific so when i yes. say they're all over our bodies and 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 inside our body well the microbes that are in our guts are very different than the microbes that are on our teeth for example yes. but and i mean the sites that are most rich that is that have the most microbes and the most diverse microbes are number one our guts our our intestines but then also our reproductive organs like the vagina and the, the anus and also your skin has a very important microbial presence. Every person is unique. Just like people talk about fingerprints as being unique, our microbes are unique. So you and I hopefully are both healthy, but our microbes are very different. And yeah. yet, if you look at the microbes, for example, in your teeth, they're specific, they're even specific to which tooth they're on. Mm -hmm. The microbes on your teeth and my teeth are most likely more similar to the microbes on your teeth and in your intestine. So they're very site specific. So there's a lot of kind of, everybody has different microbes, but there's a similarity to what's in our gut. There's a similarity sure. to what's in our our, you know, all of our organs have kind of different microbiomes. Sure, sure. I don't think we've even mentioned the title of the documentary yet. Do you want to kind of do that and sort of tell us what we see in this documentary and what it's trying to accomplish? And then mm -hmm. as we have time, we'll circle back to some of the more technical biome related stuff. That's a great idea, Robert. And may I ask, have you seen the film? No, I have not. Did you get a link from, from Paul, our publicist? I don't remember that I did. Oh, my goodness. I wish, you, I, I, wish I had understood that. I would have definitely made sure that you, you saw the film before we had a chance to talk because 
I was going to ask you what questions and what comments you had about microbes and seeing the film. And I, I know you do a lot on food and on, you know, agriculture and how we get our food. And I'm real curious to hear your thoughts, but I will certainly send you the film after, after our conversation today. And also happy to answer any additional questions you have. Sure. And just so I can, for, for time purposes, we have another 10 minutes or so, or five minutes or so, or what's uh, your... About 10. Okay. So, well, so I'm going to just, uh, the, the name of our film is The Invisible Extinction. And it's about the critical role that these little tiny organisms that we call microbes, the critical role they play in our health and well-being. And the film takes a look all across the world. There's interesting research happening all over the place. And we really follow two amazing scientists, Gloria Dominguez-Bello and her husband, Marty Blazer, both of whom are microbiologists. Marty is also a physician, and they their kind of cause in life is to bring awareness about the microbiome to everybody and help us restore what we've lost, when we've lost good microbes, figuring out how to get those back into our lives, and also preventing losing more of the good bugs. So how about that? Was that a what do you not? That's pretty good. Well, talked about me seeing the link and so forth. How how is this how is this documentary getting around? I mean, I have a feeling you probably have to build up to Cinemark. So, you oh, know, well, no, we were very fortunate. We did open theatrically in Los Angeles and New York City in January. So it was, and we've been at a, a number of festivals. And I mean, this I don't know where your viewers are, but. We are actually going to be screening on the 20th and 21st in Sedona, Arizona at a beautiful theater there. And I can send you, I mean, we're, we're screening at festivals in Switzerland at the end of the month and uh, beginning of April. So my guess is that, do you know where most of your listeners are? So I can not. Well, they're, they're a little, they're a little all over. But it's it's not just our the listeners on this podcast. There's there's the people that read our blog, for instance, which existed before this podcast. There's the people on our social media accounts. So, so you know that when you get in, when you get into our social media accounts, I mean, you're talking about fairly heavy coverage on the East Coast. Well, that's fantastic, Rob. A lot of different places. I'm I'm excited to share uh, share if I can if I email you links to the video on you can do, watch it video on demand either through iTunes or Google Play or Amazon. So if you have any of those big services, you can you can watch the film. Sure, eighty two minutes, and it's real fun to watch it with a big audience because people just have so many interesting and wonderful questions. And we are going to try to do some, there, there's actually already some Q&As on our website with Marty and Gloria, two of our, you know, our leading scientists who, you know, have a scientific or a medical perspective to, to share with, with audiences. Sure, sure. So let's go, let's go back a little bit while we still have some time. We talked, I think we pretty much covered the whole biome thing, but can you, can you go in a little bit more on some of the... The impacts that can have, more more specifically, signs that people can look, signs and symptoms people can look for that maybe they have a biome issue. 
Oh, well, that's that's a, a great question, Robert. And I mean, what led me to make the film was that I have two kids who are now teenagers. But when I was when I got started, they were one and three years old, little, little kids. And my my old my three year old at that time had food allergies. And we know because she'd gotten a she'd gotten hives all over her body one time when her dad had given her some body lotion, but he had cashews on his hands. He'd been eating some cashews and she got all these hives. Doctor tested her. She's like, oh, you know, your kid has food allergies to to nuts. So you not only shouldn't eat nuts, you got to get her an EpiPen. And so that was a bummer, but it, it didn't seem like such a big deal. And then our we had another kid who came along and the pediatrician said, because your older child has nut allergies to tree nuts and peanuts, you should test the little one. So when she started eating solid food, we tested her. The doctor tested her and she had no food allergies. And that was great. You know, really easy. She ate everything. And then one day we were at a family dinner. People had brought, you know, all sorts of different things. And one of my sisters-in-law had brought some cookies that had pecans in them. And our younger daughter ate one of these cookies and she got really red. And then she started kind of coughing and wheezing. And it seemed really weird because I thought it can actually be an allergy because we know she doesn't have any food allergies. Long story short, I told the doctor, the doctor's like, oh my gosh, that sounds really bad. Go to the ER. We went to the emergency room. They said that our then two-year-old was having a thing called an anaphylactic reaction, Mm -hmm. which means airways were shutting down. She could have died. They took care of her in the nick of time. And I said, well, hold on. How did she suddenly develop allergies? It's strange that we tested her, but we know she had none and she ate everything. And then what what happened? How could this cookie all of a sudden almost kill her? And they said, oh, you know what? We have no idea. People get allergies all the time. and We don't really know why. And I was so distraught at having both of my beloved kids in this dangerous position with you know, modern medicine, not really having anything to offer them, I took a deep dive into the research. And what was happening back then was a big study called the Human Microbiome Project. And that was like, you know, you've maybe heard of the Human Genome Project where we yes. have genes. So everybody heard about the Human Genome Project, but nobody, or not so many people have heard about the Human Microbiome Project. And That did a similar thing. That is, it mapped the healthy microbes. It looked at a whole diverse range of healthy people and all the microbes in their bodies. And so we started to have a sense of what healthy people look like and also what could happen when things go wrong with your microbes. And this is not a proof, but what had happened in my little child's life between when she had no allergies and then when she almost died from a nut cookie was she had had strep throat twice. And, you know, like most parents, we took her to the doctor. She got a course of amoxicillin both times. And I do, you know, there's been a lot of research building up that is if you disrupt your microbes, especially in early life when kids are really forming your, mi- your microbes change as your life as you get older, and the fastest time of development of your microbes, which you're picking up from the soil, from the toys you play with, from your brothers and sisters or kids in daycare, the fastest time that's happening is when you're an infant yep. in your earliest years. And so 
I, there's not going to ever be proof of this, but I do think that those two courses of antibiotics, each of which was, I think, 10 days long, I think that really messed up her internal ecosystem. The bugs it's quite possible. I know I've, I've, I sit here trying to remember how far back I actually did a review of a book called The Baby and the Biome. Oh. And the, the idea behind that book is there are certain things you can do that, especially in the very young children, like you're talking about, that can impact the biome. As far as current science, of course, biome science is not as old or well-established as some other things like, like you've gone into. Mm -hmm. But one of the things they were talking about was how certain things can be done to the biome of very young children. And that switch doesn't flip back. It stays set that way for the rest of their lives. And there's, there could be consequences 20, 30, You're right. 50 years later from how we feed our children, certain medications. You're right on, Robert. And, you know, I know our time is short. If I could just say two things. Sure. I wish I had known. In a lot of, to a large degree, I made the film because I wish I'd had, I wish I had this information before I got pregnant or when I had little kids and I thought maybe other families would find it useful. One thing to know is that you can ask your doctor respectfully. Let's say your kid has an ear infection, which is one of the most common uses or reasons why kids get prescribed antibiotics. It's sure. okay. Unless your kid is suffering terribly, it's okay to say to your doctor, you know, would it be okay if I waited a day or two before giving them antibiotics? Because what we understand from Marty, who is a medical doctor, many ear infections, most will resolve on their own you know, if you just give the kid a day or two. And the thing is, we also know is antibiotics are precious. They save lives. They maybe are one of the greatest miracles in modern medicine, but they do have a cost. And the cost is that they destroy bad microbes, but they also destroy all of our good microbes that are keeping us healthy. I had... Well, the, uh, that and the, the biome aside for a second, what about the whole issue of antibiotic resistance? So you build true. up resistance to those things too, which is a whole nother subject. But at the same time, if you keep giving a child an antibiotic every time they've got an itch or a sniffle or an earache or, or whatever, uh, what do you do if they become resistant to those antibiotics and then they have another even more severe problem? Well, that is, you know, it's so funny you bring that up, Robert, because antibiotic resistance is a related problem. It's a different issue. And we do address it in the film, but it, it is a little complicated. Do you want me to take a crack at it? Uh, well, you said you had a second thing. I want, I want to make sure we have time to get into that. Well, and I want to be able to throw out that website, too, for Sure thing. Whatever. So our website is the film's title, which is theinvisibleextinction.com. So it's all three words, theinvisibleextinction.com. And Robert, hopefully you'll have that in your, your podcast notes. Sure. And one of the things you, you learned that shocked me, one third to one half of all antibiotic prescriptions, excuse me, let me try that again. One half of all antibiotic prescriptions in the United States are medically useless. And that means they're being prescribed to people when they have something that's not going to respond to antibiotics. And so you 
doing you're hurting your good microbes with no potential gain. So that's the statistic from the CDC, which is not, you know, it's a very highly regarded organization. So to me, what that says is we need to be more careful as, as individuals when we go to see our doctor and we need to ask our physicians to be more careful when they're prescribing, to only prescribe antibiotics when we really need them, when we have an infection that's going to respond to antibiotics and won't resolve just on its own in, in a, you know, in a day or two with rest and, you know. The other well, and that goes to the point I was trying to make. The point I was trying to make is, okay, I mean, you know, you got more than three people listening to this. Somebody's going to disagree. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is, even for sake of argument, if I were to say all this biome stuff is a crock of you know what, well, what about? resistance to antibiotics that's a known verified cdc thing and a lot of what you're talking about applies to that just like it does to certain aspects of the biome so it's a situation where you're right even if you're wrong yeah it is it's it is it does take a little nuance to understand what's going on in the world and what's going on in our bodies and you know i do hope that your listeners will consider taking a look at our film. You can see the trailer for free on our website. So if you go to the invisibleextinction.com up on the homepage, you'll see a very short, it's, it's a two minute trailer. And uh -huh. get a sense on whether the film is something that you think might be fun and useful for you and your family to watch. Okay. Okay. I'm, I may look at doing something with that with some of my own promotion for this episode too. Ooh, fabulous. I would love that. And if you tell us your, if you tell us what you're doing, Robert, we will absolutely share your, re, you know, retag you and share stuff via our social channels. So, oh well, I certainly appreciate that. Of course. So, when we get off the the Zoom, I'm going to send you a link to the film so you can watch the whole film. But also, we'd be delighted if you'd share the trailer and, you know, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll think of that between now. Yeah, see. Zoom is starting to warn me. Okay. We, we no got problem. just a few more minutes left. But yeah, as soon as a lot of that, it, it'll probably be about a week before I pull a lot of that together, which will give me some time to do some thinking mm -hmm. because the way stuff like this works is, is I finish and then I hand it over to my producer slash editor guy and he does all his technical audio magic things. And I end up, I come out sending a lot more intelligent and whatnot than I even am. So uh -huh. Well, you just, you, you're, you know, it's, it's wonderful that I have the feeling like we could have talked for much longer, but I, you know what, oh, we yeah. can talk again after you've seen the film, if you feel like it. Well, I mean, I've got a, I've got a previous guest making a, in fact, I'm interviewing him a second time tomorrow, yeah, tomorrow, uh, so that he can make a repeat visit on my, my podcast. So that's certainly not impossible. Is there, is there one or two more quick points you want to bring up before we shut the recording part off? Uh, taking an, something like half to two-thirds of all pregnant women in the United States take antibiotics for one reason or another. That describes me when I was pregnant with my second kid. I took antibiotics for something that it turned out I didn't need them for. And I thought at the time, oh, better safe than sorry. But the truth is, that also may have been something that contributed to my younger child having these severe allergies because 
during the nine months of pregnancy, your body is preparing itself. The little microbes are totally changing so that when your baby is born, it is your baby is swathed in these good microbes that help it adapt to world the life in the world outside as opposed to being in, you know inside the mom's uterus. So so that's another thing that's really it's really important to only use antibiotics when you absolutely need them and you know be cautious about oh and also eat hot, eat fiber. We can't mm. digest fiber but our our good bugs love fiber. So when you eat fiber you help your gut function better. And that is everything from fruits and vegetables to whole grains. And uh, that's a way to love your bugs. Absolutely. Okay, let me. Uh, so now you're all ready to fascinate your friends with your knowledge of the biome and how what we're eating affects it. Always remember for more information on a variety of things from every corner of the food world, be sure and check us out at www.learnmoreeatbetter.com. Until next time.